Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning, worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. Amen. So, hey, so this is Palm Sunday. You worked that out, right? And so we're on the lead up to Easter and very much looking forward to Easter Sunday here. And uh, Charlotte mentioned we are going to be doing three services. And um, I won't mention the things she didn't mention that you shouldn't do to those who are helping you park. But if you just keep your hands in your pocket, that'll be good, okay? <laughs> and uh, so, so we're doing the three services. Somebody said to me... Um, a while ago, like, are, are you okay doing three services? And I appreciate the concern. They obviously see me being really old and decrepit and wonder how long I'll manage to keep doing this. And um, I said, you really, I said, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, you know, we're, we're getting to the place where sometime in the, in the not too distant future, we'll probably do three on a regular basis. But um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm totally good with that. I think some folks, you know, let me explain to you when when I was pastoring, when I went to the northeast of Scotland to pastor, and John knows all about this, on a Sunday, we started with an eight o'clock prayer meeting in the morning. Not many people were there, but he was. We had an eight o'clock prayer meeting on a Sunday morning. Then at 10.30, we had our morning service. At two o'clock, we had our children's program. It was a separate thing from service. We lived in a small community. The kids could go there themselves. Then at 6 o'clock in the evening, we had our evening service. And then after the evening service, during the summertime, we'd go out around the streets and have street meetings and sing and preach the gospel there on the streets. And then once a month, we'd go into the hospital in the town next to us, and we'd go around the wards Sunday night, and we'd sing a hymn in each of the wards. That was Sunday. On Monday night, I did the youth meeting because it wasn't that big a church, and I was every pastor. We didn't have a youth director, a children's director. I was it. So I did youth on Monday nights. On Tuesday night, we did a kids' program at 6 o'clock, and we had a prayer meeting at 7.30. On Wednesday nights, I went to the next village, and we did a children's program at 6 o'clock, and I did a Bible study at 7.15. On a Thursday night, we went to another village and did a kids' program at 6 o'clock. I came back to the village the church was in, and we did another prayer meeting in the church at 7.30. Friday night was off. On Saturday night at 7 o'clock, I did a Bible study. So when someone says to me, do you find three services a lot? <laughs> uh, no, not really. No, I'm good. I'm pretty good. But the thing is this, you see, God never intended us to live our Christian lives in church. And the danger is that, you know, we get so caught up as a community of believers, we can get so tied up, okay, you know, it'd be great to have a study for this, and great to have a group for this, and great to have something for this, and this group, and that group, and this meeting, and that meeting, and another service here, and another service there. And before you know it, your life's spent in church. And that's what happened in that context. But God never expected us to spend our lives in church. Jesus made it real clear. Here's, here's how he put it. He said, you're the light of the world. 
You're, you're, you're like a city at the top of a hill. And you know what? If, if I'm the light of the world, if I'm just in here, my light's not going to shine. We'd probably blind each other, but we're not going to help anybody else. God didn't expect us to live in church. And so today I want you, this is the sermon some of you have been longing for. Today I want to talk about stop going to church. Okay, now you wish you'd heard it last night and you could have slept late today, right? I want to talk about stop going to church. How does that fit into the Palm Sunday context? Well, I hope you'll find that it fits in pretty well indeed. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, it says this, verse 8 I'm reading from. Nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road, giving him a royal welcome. Jesus was entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Others cut branches from the trees and threw them down as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead and crowds followed, all of them calling out, Hosanna to David's son. Blessed is he who comes in God's name. Hosanna in highest heaven. As he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken. Unnerved, people were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? The parade crowd answered, this is the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth in Galilee. That first Palm Sunday, Jerusalem was going crazy as they welcomed Jesus and they welcomed him as their Savior. Hosanna means save now. And they owned him as the king they had waited for. And on this day that starts what we know traditionally as Holy Week, it's good to remember the fact that actually this was the week that that crowd turned on Jesus. Thousands hailed him as the king as he entered into the city one day, only to demand his execution less than five days later. Matthew 27, verse 22. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Like, we don't care. Crucify him. It's quite an amazing thing. It's easy to get sometimes caught up in the emotion of a crowd, isn't it? So you're in a crowd of people and you get into the whole thing. And when I look back over that story, I, I realize the fact that Maybe the crowd were just in it because they got caught up in the emotion. Maybe they were there on that Palm Sunday and they were, they were all in it because something quite different was happening in the streets of Jerusalem. They were there for the experience. A lot of them heard that it was Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, who was coming, and they'd heard all about him and the things he could do. And maybe they were, they were there for what they could get out of it. But on that Palm Sunday, whether the crowd was there for the emotion or the excitement or just for what they could get from it, the reality is Jesus was all in. 
Jesus was totally committed. He wasn't being carried along by excitement. He was doing what he was committed to. One of our themes earlier in the year was the difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower. You remember that? Oh, that's good. Three people do. That's great. <laughs> fan or follower. And you know what? I think as we, as we start the week that leads up to Easter, there is no better time, actually, for us to declare where we stand than this Palm Sunday. Because followers for Jesus will be committed to living for God just as Jesus was, and followers of Jesus will be all in. As you came in today, you'd have got a, a palm cross. And uh, I wrote on mine, and I wrote two words, all in, all in. You don't have to write on yours because I hope every time you look at that now, you'll just remember those two words. The cross happened because Jesus was all in. And my response to the cross needs to be, Lord, I'm all in. I am totally committed. In, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16, it says this. It says, Jesus made it clear to his disciples that it was now necessary for him to go to Jerusalem submit to an ordeal of suffering at the hands of the religious leaders, be killed, and then on the third day be raised up alive. He knew it was happening, and he wanted to start to break the news to them. And Palm Sunday is when Jesus actually came then to Jerusalem, knowing that he would, be su that he would suffer and knowing that he would be killed, but thank God also knowing on the third day he would rise again. In Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7, looking forward to the coming of Christ, it says this, the master God stays right there and helps me, so I am not disgraced. Therefore, I set my face like flint, confident I'll never regret this. And that was prophesying the commitment of Jesus, Flint being so hard that his face was set, he was totally determined that he was going to go through with this. And what we have on Palm Sunday is a, is a contrast here of two totally different approaches. Here is Jesus who's coming and saying, I am all in, I am totally dedicated to what I'm going to do right now, and here's an excited crowd who a few days later will actually be the ones who are crying for him to be put to death. Listen, it's not what you do on Palm Sunday that matters. Hello? It's not what you do on Palm Sunday that matters. In fact, it's not what you do on any given Sunday that, 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 is, of, that is the total thing to judge your faith by, because going to church is not the be-all and the end-all. It's an important thing for us, but the fact is this. It's no good going to church on Sunday if you're way less enthusiastic about Jesus come Thursday going into Friday. And my encouragement to you today is don't just be a Palm Sunday, branch-waving, crowd-pleasing, Hosanna-shouting Christian. Be an everyday, all-in, Christ-honoring, people-loving, self-denying, Jesus-radiating child of God. Amen? Darn. That was good. I'm going to read that again. 
But it's the heart of it. Don't just be a Palm Sunday, branch-waving, crowd-pleasing, Hosanna-shouting Christian. Be an everyday all-in, Christ-honoring, people-loving, self-denying, Jesus-radiating, child of God. Don't just go to church. Make sure you are being the church day after day after day after day. So what does that look like? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. What does that look like? Here's the first thing. Don't just go to church. Do what Jesus says. Don't just go to church. Do what Jesus says. The night that Jesus was going to be arrested, he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And three times in John's gospel, he says something that is very similar to, words that are similar to one another. In John 14 and verse 15, he says, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. John 14, 21, the person who knows my commandments and keeps them, that's who loves me. And the person who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and make myself plain to him. Then over in John 15 and verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in his love. Three times that night. This is the night that he is going to be separated from them. This is when they are going to go through the incredible trauma themselves of seeing their Savior being crucified. This is actually going to be the farewell to this part of their relationship because though Jesus appeared to them multiple occasions after the resurrection, this is the end of this relationship of hanging out with Jesus day after day. So here's the team talk before this huge event. What's Jesus got to say to them? And over and over there, he says this, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. Last words. Here's what I've got to say to you before I go there. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. You don't just show you love Jesus by going to church. We show we love Jesus by doing the things that Jesus tells us to do. Don't just go to church. Do what Jesus says. Now, you can interpret that wrongly if you're not careful, and most of us are good at interpreting the Bible wrongly. Because it, it seems to be, okay, you know what, I've got to make sure I do the right thing, and I, I better make sure I, I live the right way, and, and, and I've got to do this because, you know, this is going to please God. And, and you know, that's not really what it says about here. See, being a follower of Jesus is not about keeping a set of rules. It's about nurturing a relationship. And when you nurture a relationship, you actually want to do the things that feed that relationship. Is, is that right? Now, some of you, I've told this story before, and, and some of you, some of you, God bless you. I've been your pastor for almost 30 years. My Lord, God bless you. You will have a special reward in heaven. What that means is you probably heard my stories a thousand times over. But anyway, there's a story I love to tell that illustrates this. My wife likes the ballet. It's not my first choice. She does. I mean, she's not fanatical, raving about it, but she, she likes the ballet. So on a couple of occasions earlier in our marriage, we went to the ballet. 
which she thoroughly enjoyed. And for me, I was just ticked off they don't serve popcorn. But anyway, um, I was in Manhattan once, and I was up by Columbus Circle, and I had this sudden thought of, I'm going to go over to the Lincoln Center and see if there's any ballets coming. So I go over to the Lincoln Center, and I see that the Bolshoi Ballet are coming. And I think, I'm going to like earn serious brownie points here. I'm going to go and buy tickets to the ballet. So I go over there, and I start looking and talking to them about prices, and she said, well, there, there's a special we could give you on box seats. You know, up back there with a hoity-toity people. So I bought box seats to see the Bolshoi Ballet in the Lincoln Center. And my thought was, that's got to be about as good as it gets, isn't it? No, I mean anywhere in the world. You're at the Lincoln Center in New York City. It's the Bolshoi Ballet. You're in a box seat. So I go home and I tell her, and she is thrilled. Now, I hate the ballet. I don't want to go to the ballet, but I love my wife. And because I love my wife, I want to do something that I think she'll feel is really good. And she did. She was very excited. And we went there, you know, and we went through the special entrance because we got the special tickets. And I thought, you know, this is giving her as good as it possibly gets. And we're there in our box seats and we're watching the whatever was going on. I've got no idea. No idea. No idea. Really. And, and then there's an intermission, thank God. And, and when, there was the, when there was the intermission, we went out and we are chatting, and, and she said, this is incredibly good. She said, what did it cost? I said, don't ask. Don't ask. And she said, no. And she kept at me. And, and you know what? You shouldn't do that. But she kept at me. And so I said, okay, here's what it cost. I can't remember what it was. It was quite a bit. And she said, Really? That much for two tickets? I said, no, for each ticket. <laughs> and then, then, if you ever doubted how smart I am, she spoke the words that illustrate I'm not as dumb as I look. Because she said, Rog, you never have to do this again. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Nobody told me I've got to go to the ballet, but because I love her, I wanted to do something that she wanted to do. I mean, the things continued. We've gone to see some incredibly bad movies, but we won't go into all of that. But that would take a long time. But what I'm saying is when you love someone, you do the stuff that makes them happy. And serving Jesus isn't about checking off a bunch of rules. It's about, you know, I love Jesus, so this is the choice I made. I love Jesus, so this is the way I'm going to go. I love Jesus, so this is what I'm not going to do. In John 8, verse 29, Jesus said this. He says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And you know something? People who are really committed to Christ can say this, I do what pleases him, right? Now, G did you notice I quoted that differently than it says up there? Because Jesus said, I always do what pleases him. I haven't got it round to the always yet, have you? Oh, my Lord. You can't sit in church and lie like that. <laughs> I haven't got around to the always yet, have you? No. No, thank you. I was beginning to feel like the worst sinner on earth. <laughs> 
or at least in here. No. But that is my goal. That is my goal. And so often, thank God, I do get it right because our thinking is different, our mindset is different, our focus is different. We want to please God. And you know something? When we don't please God, it like hits us in here, doesn't it? It really does. In 1 John 2 and verse 6, it says this, anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life Jesus lived. Don't just go to church. Do what he says. Then let's look at the next thing from this. Don't just go to church. Live trusting Jesus. Live trusting Jesus. You see, the Palm Sunday crowd had high expectations. They had been praying for, had been taught to believe for generations that a Messiah, a Savior would come and who would set up a kingdom here on earth. And they looked upon Jesus as the one who was the fulfillment of those prophecies, as the one who was going to come, set up God's kingdom on earth, overthrow the Romans who were occupying their country and would establish himself as the king. But none of those things happened the way they expected them to. The week didn't turn out the way they expected, so they turned against Jesus. Now, if you haven't found this out yet, I'm going to give you a very simple piece of information. Life will seldom work out the way you expect it. The road to the fulfillment of God's plans for your life will often lead along a totally different route than the one that you expect. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, we've been surrounded and battered by troubles. Hello, I thought he was like the apostle. Didn't he like have a pass on all this? No. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't been broken. Praise God. You see, it's what we do when the crowd goes away, when the music stops, when the pastors aren't there that really matters, when life doesn't go the way you expected it to, when the doctor says that he can't do any more, when the bank says they won't wait any longer, when the boss says your position has been eliminated, it's what we do then that matters. Don't just go to church, live trusting Jesus. I mean, the easiest example in the Bible to go back to in there is is the story of Job who lost everything that he valued and held precious in one single day. And Job's statement in the middle of all of that was, though he slay me, yet I'm going to trust him. God can kill me, but I'm going to trust God. He didn't say it was easy. He didn't say it wasn't happening. He wasn't delusional. He was down to earth. But he said, you know, I I trust God. I trust God. Don't just go to church. Live trusting Jesus. This is a fantastic atmosphere to be in, isn't it? 
I love being here on a Sunday morning, and I, and, and I, I don't just mean in the context of service itself. I, I, I love everything that's happening before service starts. I love the fact it's almost like when we walk in that doors, our defenses can go down. Is, is it, you feel that way? It's like, you know, you come through this door, and I'm relaxed in this place. It's like, I don't have to be looking over my shoulder in this place. I, I, I just love that. But you know what? What we get from God on a Sunday morning is intended to help us to push through when we're out there during the rest of the week and things don't turn out the way we planned. See, the Palm Sunday crowd had high expectations, but as the week went by, those expectations were unmet. So they bitterly turned against Jesus and said, we're done with him. You can crucify him. When everything was going against Job, he said, I'm going to trust God. Or, or you've got the Apostle Paul at another point in his life when he's on his ship and in an incredible storm and all the seasoned sailors think that the ship is going to be lost. And Paul stands in front of them and he said, look, I had a dream tonight and God gave me a message and I'm going to tell you the message. Nobody's going to be lost on this ship. We're going to be shipwrecked, but nobody's going to die. And here's what he said. He said, but I believe God. And when we go through the, the, the most terrible of storms, and some of the things around us get wrecked. The truth is, we will always stand because God is committed to us. And in these mo those moments, we need to say, I believe God. I believe God. Psalm 142, the psalmist says this, I'll bless you every day and keep it up from now to eternity. I'll bless you every day. I'll bless you every day. Casting Crowns put it this way in, in their song, Praise You in the Storm. I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen that it's still raining as the thunder rolls. I barely hear your whisper through the rain. I'm with you. But I raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. And I'll praise you in the storm. And I'll lift my hands that you are who you are no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in the storm. Don't just go to church. Let your light shine. Sorry, that's the next point. What was I talking about there? Don't just go to, my Lord. We, Lynn, what was I talking about just then? No, the second point. There we go. Don't just go to church. Yeah, even with an idiot screen, I get it wrong. Don't just go to church. Live trusting Jesus. Live trusting. And you know what the thing is? We don't want to do that. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but he's not here to ask his permission. Our, our son was let go from his job a couple of weeks ago. Worked for the company for 14 years, was let go with nothing and a family to support, and a lot of commitments. And uh, we've been encouraging him, and actually he's been encouraging us. Uh, early this past week, he, uh, he, he, he called one day, he said, you, you, you won't believe this, I got the mortgage statement from the bank, and it's actually a letter saying that there's been some mistake over escrow, and uh, we only owe a couple of hundred dollars payment this month. There's no mortgage payment. I think it was the next day he had to go to the doctor, and when he, when he went 
to leave. They said there's a, pay, there's a co-payment, I, I think it was $57. And so he went to make the co-payment, and the woman said, no, wait a second, you've got a credit here for $57. Oh, and then I get the text from him with a picture, and he says, this is getting ridiculous. It was his electric bill that showed he owed nothing for this month, but had a credit on his electricity. And here's what I said to him, and here's what I'll say to you. He said, I've never been here in my life because I've always made sure that I can provide for us. And I said, you know what? Unless you get to a place where there's a gap in your life you can't fill, you never need God. But there's always needs to be a God gap. I was talking to our friend Mike Caroleo up at the uh, 180 Center in Connecticut, and they're looking at moving into a bigger property. And we saw the property, Jill and I, when we were up there last month. And I'm going back and forth talking to Mike, and Mike said, I've got it all worked out on paper. We can almost manage it, but I'm uneasy because we can't totally manage it. And I said, Mike, unless there's a God gap, don't even go for it because you're not giving God a chance to come through and do something miraculous. And I know some of you, some of you here today, you've been living in a God gap for a while, but what I want to encourage you to do is this. You know, when you go out of here and the same problems are there, when you go home and you're facing the same obstacles, I want to encourage you, don't just go to church, live trusting God because God is faithful. Okay, and then finally, you got the glimpse of this. Don't just go to church, let your light shine. Don't just go to church, let your light shine. You see, what we do in here actually has no impact whatever initially on people who need Jesus. Right? What's happening here right now as in itself has got no, makes no impact whatever on people living around us who don't yet know Jesus. Is, is that a fair comment? Yes. It's what we do with what we get and what God does for us in here when we go out there that really is going to make a difference and is making a difference. Amen. It's letting our light shine out there. I mean, that's a great phrase, you know, let your light shine. I mean, what does that really mean? No, I'm not going to give everybody a flashlight as you leave today. <laughs> what does it really mean, let your light shine? I'll tell you what it means. The language of heaven is love. The nature of God is love. How do I let my light shine? I find ways to express love to the people that I meet, to those who cross my path. Well, what does that mean? I'll answer that one too. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. How do you let your light shine? You let the love of Jesus be seen through you. You know what? It's easy for us to get just caught up with what we do here in a terrific and safe environment. But Sunday is the preparation for the rest of the week. On Palm Sunday, they all hail Jesus 
as their king. But by Thursday night into Friday, they had changed their tune. My encouragement to you is, it's not all about what we do on Sunday. It's not all about starting the week with celebration of worship. It's living it meaningfully and ending the week strong. Don't just go to church. Let your light shine. So the question for us is this, am I a church attender? Am I a Sunday worshiper? Or am I someone who is all in in my commitment to Jesus? And my encouragement to you going out of here today is to take your cross. If you didn't get one, they'll have them by the door as you leave. Is to take that cross and put it somewhere significant and remind yourself day in, day out, Jesus paid it all. He was all in. And I want to be all in in following Jesus too. Let's pray together.